Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Wow. A little bit artsy on this Friday. And, uh, you know, when Luke's away, your boy BC, you better believe it, is going to play. Welcome into the award-winning Morning Combat Friday, August 19th, 2000. And 22, I'm your hostess with the mostess, I think, uh, the beige guy, Brian Campbell, coming at you. No Luke Thomas today, but before, before you click off, right, I want you to know that this Friday, it is artsy. You know your boy BC's going to bring it. Going solo today, not just, not just because I love the sound of my own voice, but because I got a heart out. We're going to give you 90 powerful minutes today. Then I'm heading on a jet plane, South Florida, Saturday night, Showtime Championship Boxing. Your boy BC calling that prelim card, 6 p.m. Eastern on Showtime Sports' YouTube channel, along with Keith one-time Thurman. It's going to be a party. You're going to want to hang out ahead of Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, the quadruple header headlining Showtime. And you, of course, can stream Showtime right now for free. Going to Showtime.com, 30 days free. Pound the sand if you need at the end, but I guarantee you'll like what you see. Loaded, absolutely loaded combat sports. I want to say weekend, but it's really Saturday. I mean, guys, this Saturday is so friggin' loaded that there were fight cards I didn't even realize in, in, until a couple days ago, like PFL 9, like top rank on ESPN's uh, Emmanuel Navarrete boxing card. Of course, we got, I mean, we got a UFC pay-per-view. We got Showtime Boxing. We got Usyk Joshua 2, uh, BKFC in London. I mean, what a time. It, uh, considering how light the schedule is next week, you do wonder if some of these promoters or network execs could have spread it out a little bit more. But it's going to be wild, and I will set the stage today, right now. Also going to close today's episode with a, you know, a little Q&A, a little DMs from Donks with your boy, BC. Uh, whatever whatever you responded to on Instagram, whatever's your flavor, I'll, of course, uh, savor that and, and respond to you. But, you know, uh, I, I've touched base with Luke. He's, he's on vacation. He's, he's not rounding out the last few days, having a great time. Um, maybe a little bit too much MK vacations from both of us of late, but, you know, we got to keep the, the home life balance going as well. So thanks for standing with us, supporting the likes of Chuck Mendenhall, Aaron Bronstetter, Rafe Bartholomew, Rashad Evans, uh, Shaquille Majori. We're going to see some of his clips today. Uh, a fantastic MK team that supports us, that gets us gets us by, gets us to the next level. And if you haven't checked out our bonus content, one final plug, youtube.com slash morning combat. 
We got a pregame pre preview like men do with Chuck. We got great interviews. We got rewatches galore ahead of this weekend. Usman Edwards won. Joshua Usyk won. Check all that stuff out. Like us. Follow us. Uh, tell your friends about us. I remember those STDs you so willingly spread in, in, in college like nothing happened. Wasn't me, right, Shaggy? No. Why don't you tell your friends about this great show right here, Morning Combat? Because we're coming. Okay? We're coming for you. We're coming for your favorite podcast's awards that they think they're going to win. We're coming to really take over your time, your innocence, your life. And in particular, the World MMA Awards have nominated Morning Combat for the second straight year for Best MMA Programming. A reminder, no podcast had ever won that award. It was all UFC programs. We won it last year. We're back this year. We got to take on Rogan. We got to take on Helwani. We got to take on Embedded, Dana White, all the, the big guns. But if you want to see us get to that next level, do more live shows, continue to take over the world, hit this QR code below on the screen or head to worldmmaawards.com slash nominees. You can vote for us. You can vote for Aaron Bronstetter for Best MMA Journalist, if that's your flavor. Spread the love. Spread it across. Spread it wide. Is that the verbatim? Okay. Got that right there. Um, thanks, guys. It's been a, it's been a you know, heck of a run here. The last week, a lot, of, a lot of different partner swapping in and out here. Very, very, uh, very, uh, very, uh, very fun. Very good, good times. Great oldies right there. Uh, shout out to our great team, Long Island Luke, Gaff Pierre, Mikey Morms on the ones and twos here behind the scenes getting us ready. We're going to have a great show today. And, uh, you know, why not bang? Why not? Why not just get into this? Why not just start it up? I know you love Luke Thomas. But you're about to get a lot of BC coming at you, okay? Give it to take the taste test, all right? Uh, you can also find out our fantastic merch house right here, which is a great time to do it. Morningcombat.store. No, this archive CM Punk UFC t-shirt isn't there. But you know what is? Bomber jackets, brother. And you know what else we're going to sprinkle on top just because we like you? How about a little bonus? How about a little discount? How about for right now, if you head to morningcombat.store, make an order on anything. Bomber jackets, mugs, uh, baby bibs. We got... We got we got a lot of things going on. 10% off if you use our code LIVE10. RJ Dunkelcracker is right there waiting for your orders. He said these, these bombers are moving, so don't miss out. Get on board now. Um, it's our highest quality uh, item to date, and I think you're going to love the way it, it, it looks on you. And, uh, yeah, of course, I guarantee that. All right, flat rate international shipping. What else you need from us, okay? You need Luke Thomas, I know, all right? But this show ain't just the meat, Okay. How about a little sauce today? How about we get a little saucy? All right. How about we get a little artsy? You know, BC doesn't just make it easy. He makes it easel if you give him the chance, too. I, I you know, I, I've, I've come out of painting retirement. I've got the, I've got the latest edition for you here. Um, you know, you can be honest. You can be harsh if you need to, okay? You know, my wife says it's not as bad as your normal ones. It's probably your best one yet. So, you know, what is it saying? Well, it's, you know, it's up to you. It's up to you, all right? All right, what am I saying? We're about to bang. Here we go. Let's start it at the top. It is among, arguably, the Lotus Weekend, Lotus, Lotus Weekends in uh, combat sports in a while. And the top of the pops goes down pay-per-view Salt Lake City Saturday night, UFC 278. It's been, you know, kind of a weird build this week. You know, a lot of comments from Luke Rockhold, Paulo Costa, a lot of characters, a lot of moments. Paulo, or uh, Luke calling out the media right there. We'll get to that in a second. But the main event, this welterweight title rematch. Kamaro Usman, the pound-for-pound pound king, undefeated in the UFC, looking to equal Anderson Silva's record of consecutive wins at 16 when he welcomes Leon Edwards, who has long been deserving of this opportunity. 
And now he gets it. Now look, I'm going to be honest and fair. I don't like love the fight. It's necessary. Edwards is 9-0 with one no contest in his last 10 since losing to Usman. Is it overly sexy? No. Will it live up to, you know, will it exceed some expectations there? It, you know, there's certainly a chance here. Edwards has been slept on, but I've been debating all week and getting called a casual. Is he so underrated now that he's overrated? And I only mean that from the standpoint of has he beaten the type of names or really a single name that gives you the type of confidence that he can go in here against somebody as in the moment right now, as confident as well-rounded, as prepared as Usman is. This Usman who's now pound-for-pound king, the same guy who even when he won the championship, I didn't think would get this good, would become this exact fighter. We've talked all week storylines about how, you know, you can either take nothing from their first fight in 2015, which again was a early prelim UFC Fight Pass main event, second fight for Usman in the UFC, fourth for Edwards, or you can take nothing because they've evolved as fighters. But again, that equation still ranks true here. Usman's more aggressive, stronger, if he can establish the threat of that takedown and at times obviously take Edwards down, it's his fight to win. And I think that's where the odds tell you that. Minus 340, our friends at Caesars, Kamaru Usman, your favorite, Leon Edwards, plus 280 as the underdog. Um, I think this can actually get one-sided. And, you know, people can hate on me. You can say, you don't know much about Leon Edwards. You're hating on the UK as always. But no, I'm really not. Is there a potential for a trap element here? Of course, right? Usman not only has much potential, bigger things coming his way in the form of Hamza Chemaev if he gets back past Nate Diaz, if he ends up taking that fight. Obviously, now he's going to be in the new Black Panther movie. He's really trying to... That's why he was trying to call out Canelo for a while. Really trying to make the most of his earning opportunity here. And oh, by the way, he's still threatening that potential move up to 205 to try to become a two-division champion. So is this the type of fight that could be easy to overlook? Of course. But I do think, you know, when you're talking about Usman, whether you think he's corny or not, (laughs) whether you love him, whether you believe in his overall potential star power ceiling, what's been the secret sauce in him getting here? Well, obviously that that ridiculous wrestling uh, background and ability that's allowed him, especially when he wasn't yet a complete fighter, to just dominate people. But it's been the consistency. It's been the mindset. It's been the work ethic. Does he dress Awesome. <laughs> well, not, not in my terms. You know, he stands up, does the Terry Crews thing. Look, the guy's jacked. But how he's gotten here is in a lot of ways by not overlooking people. Uh, they did ask at the press conference this week to Usman about this potential of a trap fight. And he said, you know, talk is talk, but it's work ethic that has gotten me to this point, And that won't change. It, and I believe him. I think if there's any real potential trap in this fight for Usman, it's not to me overlooking Edwards. It's more the idea of his game plan. And that's why I was all week bringing back in the idea that that first fight did teach us something. Now, is Kamaru still that guy who's wrestle first, wrestle now, wrestle then, wrestle only? No. In fact, he's wrestled less and less, which tends to happen to guys. Not only, look at Tyron Woodley, right? Not only when they develop the rest of their games to equal that out, but also it is very taxing physically to do that. That's why you don't always see that. But again, I trust that Kamaru is mentally, physically prepared where he needs to be. I, I just wonder if there's ever a trap element here. It's will he try too hard to show us that evolution? Will he come out looking to show you, look, I don't need to wrestle to beat you. I can beat you on the feet. Now, could Kamara Usman, the pound for pound king, beat Leon Edwards in a striking only battle? Yes, yes, he could. Now, not not you know, not as easy as it would be with a more well-rounded game mixing and takedowns, because that's, you know, the 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 peace day resistance that has allowed him 
to, to largely go untouched throughout his 15-fight run unbeaten in the UFC, which is why the narrative is so heavily built upon, whether people want to hear it or not, on the idea that he's knocking on the door, not only GSP potentially, as the greatest welterweight UFC has ever seen, and if he succeeds in a title defense, that'd be six. GSP has the welterweight record of nine, but also the larger GOAT conversation. You know, and I, I was on CBS Sports' HQ this week, pressed on that, and, and sort of said, well, what else does he need to do? He's not there yet, Usman. But he's getting closer, and he's got the type of run behind him <clears throat> that's really hard to deny because of that level of dominance. Okay, he got dropped by Gilbert Burns, got up and stopped him. Okay, he had two close fights with Colby Covington, of course, for sure. But he did stop him in the first one. And, you know, the second one, could you have argued for Covington the other way? You could have, but it's certainly nothing close to, I mean, maybe lightly disputed, but, but certainly not controversial. He's been dominant because uh, of leaning on his strengths in the big moments, mixed with, of course, the influence of Trevor Whitman and the rounding out of that striking game. Could Usman do exactly what I said, have a chip on his shoulder and say, okay, you guys are all rewatching my fight against Edwards from 2015 for the purpose of previewing this fight. I'm just not that guy anymore. I'm way better. Yeah, he is way better. Uh, if he leans too hard, though, in trying to knock, land that one knockout punch, obviously that would be the thing that could take him off his game plan and open the door for what Leon Edwards does best. Educated, volume striking, he's quick, his confidence has grown extremely well. But I haven't seen that thing yet that gives me the confidence that Leon Edwards can get over this hill. I think they're respecting him with the plus 280 underdog line here from Caesars because of that evolution, and he is skilled, and this can happen. And Usman, despite being 15-0, and look, he's not unbeatable. Nobody's unbeatable in this game. There's so many freaking ways to lose at elite, in elite mixed martial arts that, you know, it, for more or less, nobody can be unbeatable, which, again, is why when these streaks start to happen and when they are streaks like what John Jones did and GSP did and Anderson Silva, where it's so long and you, you have to fight so many different levels of competition, different styles, I'm sorry, of threats and, and so many killers, to be able to go that far, you got to be super special and not lose because it could be a bad scorecard. It could be a cut. It could be anything. It could be that one moment where you were, you know, you were ready for the punch and the kick came to the liver. I mean, it could be anything. Kamara Usman has just had a way to, to navigate that anything. I think we see a little bit of a dip back to the wrestler again because the threat has to be there for him to have the type of potential success that the odds tell you he should. Um, I'm looking for Usman to get the takedowns early to establish that threat, to try to yank on that gas tank of Edwards, and to try to set him up in the second half of this fight to finish him. In fact, if I've got an, uh, a, a specific prediction, whether you care or not, it is Usman by fourth-round submission. I think he's going to tire him out and slow him down a bit on the ground. I think Rocky's going to have moments on the feet to make this competitive. But I think each of his moments will lean Usman back into some of those strengths. Again, whether it's the threat of that takedown, it could just be clinch work uh, along the cage and just trying to establish himself as the stronger, more dangerous man in this scenario. Um, it, it, Usman certainly could, again, like I said, get caught up in some of this stuff. You know, am I the GOAT? Do I, you know, am I going to face Jemayev next? You know, am I going to challenge the light heavyweight champion? But he doesn't do that. <coughs> I don't think we have the evidence to suggest that. So you got to look at this matchup and say, Edwards is good enough to be here. He's good enough to win it under certain scenarios. But are those scenarios likely? And at the end of the day, I say no. So as long as Usman is establishing that jab, but establishing the threat of those takedowns as a dual threat, this is a fight he should win comfortably. And um, 
you know, I respect Leon's game. But the whole idea of not having seen enough throughout this win streak, meaning super elite names, the type of finishes that grab your attention. It's like, how much can you put the stain on him? Because he completely dominated Nate Diaz, except for when he wasn't at the very end and, you know, had a rocky moment, no pun intended, and almost got stopped. I don't know. Can you throw the Jorge Masvidal conversation in there as well? Usman tried to do it during this week's press conference, essentially trying to heckle him for not coming back at Jorge backstage with a you know, three-piece in a soda or whatever it was, and, and since then not over-aggressively seeking out a rematch or whatever. I mean, look, for Edwards, some of this journey that would have taught us some of these things was taken away by bad luck, by injuries, by the no contest against Bilal Muhammad, which was a fight, again, that should have told us more about him on this arc and on this journey. Whether it's unfair or not, though, he didn't come back at Masvidal. And, you know, he never seemed to push hard enough to get that fight. Although, given the, the marketing values of both after that moment, you can understand why maybe it hasn't happened. And now Masvidal also no longer really considered an elite threat. If it's unfair to throw that in there in the conversation, if it's unfair to throw the ending of the Nate Diaz fight in the conversation... Look, a, a lot of what Rocky Edwards has faced, I think, has been unfair. The criticism, the, the, the call-outs of because he's not marketable, he can keep wait longer in the bullpen and get that win streak up even higher. The thing is, combined, you know, can you pick out one of those and say that's unfair, BC? Sure. But combined, you know, the smoke leads to fire in this case, if that makes any sense. I'm not even sure it does, to be honest with you. Luke's more of the wordsmith of the two of us, right? But it's going to be Kamaru Usman's night. Will you be over, overly entertained? Probably not. I think the Marab Zavalishvili, Josie Aldo fight is ultimately going to steal the show along with whatever theatrics come out of Costa versus Rockhold, which we'll get to in a second, of course. But a lot of this is about, let's get this out of the way for Usman. Edwards deserves it, so let's do this. But what the heck is next? Now, we do have a question as we solicited questions for this show on Instagram, on at Morning Combat, not only for the end of the show when we do a Q&A, but also for the middle of the show. So let's go to this question from user. User, are you out there? I want to use somebody. There we go. It's from at Brendan. Is that our social media producer? Or is this a real person? How much longer does Kamaro Usman stay at 170? I think that's a great question. Um, I think Kamaro Usman is too close to history, meaning creeping up on GSP's welterweight title defense record, you know, entering some of these GOAT areas where, these GOAT conversations, right, the outskirts of these, where there's still things that need to be done at welterweight, particularly Hamzat Chemaev if he gets past Nate Diaz, that should <laughs> Kamaru potentially, you know, not pass go and and maybe try some of these bigger things. And no, no one thinks he's going to get a Canelo fight, nor thinks that it's a good idea. But the whole idea of saying, I'm not going to fight Adesanya for the middleweight title because, you know, we're boys, we represent Africa together. I respect that. Okay, that's fine. Sure. Going up to 205, potentially. Look, you know, Aaron Bronstetter said it on our show on Wednesday. Look, if, you, if he goes up there and does that and you're not willing to call him the GOAT, like, what the hell is wrong with you? Now, would he automatically be the GOAT there? Look, he'd be much further in the discussion. The whole point of this whole GOAT conversation with Usman is that whether you agree or not, it's getting harder to deny him because we don't have... People who have had these type of runs. We've had Habib, who I think is allowed to sort of potentially, depending on where you stand, leap to the front of the class in the GOAT debate because we never saw him lose. We've never really seen him challenged outside of T-Ball wrestling him a bit, you know, and maybe the potential peril of Justin Gaethje's leg strikes. I know you know that was coming. But what holds 
him back potentially is the people he wasn't able to fight, whether it's his fault or not. Remember, Habib missed two full years due to injury in the midst of that, all that stuff. Usman hasn't had that. He will have, if he fights Chimaev, fought everybody he could in his era. He does have a real shot to go really far in this discussion. But win or lose as a, at a potential move up to 205 for the title, if this is realistic, if, if the UFC would allow this, all that, that goes with that. I don't think for his legacy, I don't think for his reputation, he can do that without fighting Chimaev first. Not only would there be huge pressure upon him, probably internally, given Chimaev's rising star power. And look, anything Chimaev related, people know that Run Website is getting monster clicks. The, the, the want to see if this you know, alien is as, as special as he looks. If, if, you know, if there's reptilian vibes coming out of him, is he real? Is he human? Well, he looked a little bit human against Gilbert Burns, which is why, you know, some people maybe are, are, are saying he's not as great as we thought maybe. Well, look, you're going to have to find out in the cage when he gets here. The whole point is if you're Usman, even if you have balls the size of 205 to say, I want to move up and really try to find out how great I am, I don't think he can do that and get the level of respect and historical pull that he would deserve or he would think he would get without going through Chimaya first. That's just the way this works, and that's just the way this is. So how much longer does Usman stay at 170? I really think it's one more fight against Chimaev. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean he couldn't take another welterweight fight in the future, but I think here's what Usman is looking at right now. I might be, you know, pound for pound king, but I'm 35. Yes, I can get myself up and be the best of my game, and at this moment, I'm the best in this sport. 35 doesn't mean you're necessarily old, but it also means you can show up a little bit old on any given night. And I think he's aware of that. He's aware that he is in his peak moment financially to, to, to try to maximize this. I love the idea of 205 because it's ballsy. There's big money potential in there. And yes, it would allow him to just make the type of historical move where you're like, fuck it, dude. This, yeah. <laughs> is he the GOAT or do I like John Jones more? Let's see if John Jones wins the heavyweight title. But it's going to be hard to keep him out of this conversation. You got to go through Chimaev to get there, though. So give me one more fight for Usman at 170. Like, it's, you know, he's not going to fight Covington in a trilogy. Um, it's going to be a few more fights before that next class behind, you know, is climbing the top 10 and getting there. I think Usman wants to try to make some crazy history and find out how great he can be. And so give me one more against Chimaev and win or lose. There is the potential that he tries to move up and wait. Now, just middleweight. <laughs> I know Adesanya is the champion right now, so, it, you know, but could lose it to Alex Padeda. A lot could happen. But middleweight, you would, in theory it would seem uh, a, a shorter, smoother path to try to make that type of history. We'll see what happens there. Um, I think this fight is going to be a, a dominant win for Usman, and you can tell me I'm crazy or, or stop watching now until Luke comes back, but that's up to you. Uh, let's keep it going on topic one for the rest of the featured bouts on this card. And bumped up to co-main, I'm sorry, to co-main, to, uh, co yes, co-main, that's what they call it. It's the middleweight tilt between Paulo Costa and Luke Rockle. Now, I've been saying you know, in the pregame preview and our storylines hit this week that, you know, Rock holds star power. You know, he gets a win here. And by the way, there's so many questions about both of these guys. And that, I think, is the, the prevailing narrative over this matchup, right? Beyond the, are these the two sexiest fighters ever matched up in UFC history? Again, it's up to you. I did like, a, well, I didn't like it. I didn't like the timing that the schmo dropped that question to Dana uh, of are you going to have you thought about putting a title for this fight? And I think Dana thought he meant have you thought about putting an interim title, which would make more no sense. But really, the Schmo was saying, you know, BL, what was he saying? Uh, uh, BL, uh, 
the be best looking fight, BLF. There you go. Okay, that's bullshit. But um, the deal here for Rockhold is, I, I you know I thought star power wise, the fact that he'd been calling out Anasadi for years, even though he hadn't been active and in the cage uh, winning, but yet thinking you know I have this. The, the I thought it's a no brainer if he pulls this win, and the odds are against him to do that, and I'll get to that in a second. But you know I think I, I was wrong there. And I think a lot of people came out this week and said, ABC, like, are you hearing the things he's saying about, you know, the organization calling them a mafia, the, the, the things he's saying about fighter pay this week, which is a very good time for that. And oh, by the way, I think you're seeing a ripple effect because Rockhold have been making these comments to everybody, including our own Shaq Majori on CBS Sports. And it's been getting viral. John Nash is pushing it out there. You saw Francis Ngannou respond to that. You saw Julia Avila put out a long thread that I retweeted about you know, what it's like to be a middle-of-the-pack UFC fighter who can't afford to try to be the best they can be as a UFC fighter. It's all very interesting stuff. Would that prevent Rockhold from getting a re you know, reward? I think it would. I, I think I have been changed on this discussion, whether it matters or not, that the UFC has to be looking at these comments this week and going, man, just shut up. How quickly can Costa knock this guy out? Um, I think that's a good transition into this fight and what it could actually look like. So Paulo Costa right now is a minus 360 betting favorite. Certainly the younger still closer to his prime product despite his own troubles of missing weight and losing to Vittori. And of course, you know, the red wine incident against uh, Adesanya, Luke Rockhold plus 295. In theory, does Luke Rockhold have the guile, experience, and game, especially if Paulo Costa continues the recent trend and fights undisciplined to do this? Of course he does. And at 37, it's not impossible for Luke to have his Randy Couture moment here and, and, you know, Glover to share a moment and come out as the older fighter. And in his case, look, he hasn't won since 2017, been knocked out three times viciously, to be fair, you know, by some of the best strikers of that moment, but still viciously, to be fair, it is possible that Luke Rockhold wins this. I think there's a lot of questions about who Paulo Costa really is and will be moving forward. Maybe I'm pushing those questions more than others. But I do have those legitimate fears that Costa is kind of who he is right now. Wild caveman, willing to lean on his chin and lean on his power. And, I mean, maybe that's who he was all along, although I saw more patience and poise and setup. And by the way, I mean, you'll see this in Mondays, have you seen this shit? But anybody see the phoner? <laughs> I didn't want to look at it, but, you know, it's on brand for MK when everyone's tweeting at me that Paulo Costa had after, uh, what was it, uh, yesterday's final press conference and they did the face-offs him he had tight pants on to begin with but he looked like you know mcgregor and the mayweather weigh-in i mean that guy was rock hard with emotion and if there's any way to take a story about a boner and actually spin it yeah there you go there's the lower third free and actually spin it into an actual fight prediction i do think costa is excited to have a moment to to redeem himself to redeem his brand to refresh it i think in the end that's ultimately why UFC made this matchmaking. Rockhold was just willing to make one more run at it. And I do believe everything, by the way, that Rockhold has said this week in the regards of, I found my fighting purpose again. I found, I'm sure he did. He'd been out a long time. But, you know, like, it, it had injuries, but just sort of didn't seem like he wanted this anymore. But, you know, Costa's rock hard with emotion on Thursday. I think that carries into Saturday from the standpoint that he's going to be motivated to come in here and knock out a name, even if that name may not be coming through that door on the same level he did, you know, on the rise to initially winning the title. I think that's ultimately the outcome. Um, Paulo Costa is a headhunter in this game. 
Luke Rockhold is somebody who fights even, you know, at his, I don't want to say at his peak because, you know, the strike force Luke Rockhold. I think, I think, okay, here's what I'm going to say. I think you look back at Luke Rockhold's rise and definitely the 2013 TRT loss to Vitor Belfort is like an aberration in my eyes because, I mean, you know, that was Bonzian of Vitor Belfort who was in, the, in, in decline at that time, but to, to, to take the stuff... And the stuff brought him to a level of, of quick twitch fiber spinning strike attempts that we've never seen that level of danger. Fueled by the Mohawk, all that stuff. Fighting in Brazil, you know, crowd going nuts. Um, outside of that, it really was the title loss to Bisping that, that seemed to change everything. Meaning since then, not only has the narrative changed that, that Rockhold's a bit chinny, but I think it's the, the arrogance he's fighting with. He's fighting like somebody who knows they're great but is living on the past a little bit too much and maybe not making the right adjustments physically, but, but also strategically, but also mentally where he leaves his chin open too often. He, he lingers in situations too long and gets caught with big stuff. And sometimes it happens in periods where it looks like he's doing well. I mean, look, he didn't have a lot of great moments against Jan Blahovich at 205 before that ended badly, but you know, he was just a physical beast that I remember thinking, you know, even with him being a bit chinny, could he really make a run here at 205 and do some things? And then he came out and did arrogant Luke Rockhold things. Even if Luke Rockhold has found the purpose in the fighting spirit again, the equation still ends with a knockout loss to a younger, more aggressive uh, Paulo Costa who's willing to take wild chances and really, I think, wants to has had to adversity and wants to get back to where he was. Will he get back to where he was? Can he let, you know massage out some of these more eccentric ways of late even if he can't he's probably still going to win this fight by knockout and that's just what it is and it's a weird fight in some ways it's a sexy fight in a lot of ways i'm interested in it it could go a lot of different directions but i feel like i know which direction is most likely now we got sound we got some things to throw to i think we got a fan question coming in related to this matchup hopefully it's on the up and up and about the x's and o's and the analysis Let's see, from at People's Champ Vintage, what do they want to know? Whose ground game is better? Who's got uh, Wilder DMs in the inbox? Rockholder Costa. Um, again, wasn't supposed to be part of the analysis right here. Um, <laughs> so I did ask in the pregame preview, I think I got shot down pretty hard by Luke, but I did ask, you know, who does more damage? Luke Rockhold on the Santa Monica Pier shortlist, right? Or, you know... Costa on a banana hammock on the on the beaches of Hio, right? And I, you know, looks like look, stop that talk. But obviously Costa, and I think in the end I agree with him. Whose DMs are probably a little bit more wild? I think still Costa. His personality, um, also I, I think hasn't Rock, Rockhold looks a little domesticated. The beard's a little unkept. You've got the the embedded camera showing him with you know lady partner by his side with the family dogs. I mean. You know, whether that matters in this case in terms of a fight domestication, sometimes it does in, 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 in sort of pulling at the fighting spirit, right? It's hard to be that, that, that lone wolf rebel warrior attacker when things are going really good in your life and, you know, and you're happy at home. Your inboxes and your DMs also, I would think, tend to be, well, maybe I'm wrong, though, because what's the old adage? As soon as, you know, as soon as you could be, you know, no one's calling you when you, but then you get a girlfriend, suddenly everybody's looking at you different. I get that. The answer, though, Costa, and I'm sure they're, you know, they're just spectacular. I mean, they're just probably absurd. They might be illegal. We'll have to, you know, one day, one day. Okay, maybe on the MK Patreon post show on the Only Pipes report. 
uh, you know, stay, you know, watch the MK instant analysis this weekend, but the real ones know it all goes down on only pipes. One day, one day we'll get that going. All right. We do have some sound. Uh, I love Shaq Majori, uh, CBS sports, his own French Canadian born calls Vancouver, BC home these days, the Prince of Persia himself. He caught up with both guys. Let's start with Rockhold. And, you know, you hear my fears about either defensive deficiencies or the arrogance. Uh, let's hear how Shaq tossed this up to Luke Rockhold to get his take on it. Is that something you've been putting more focus on, rounding out the defense? Or is that maybe just something that's a little overstated? Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's a, something I've lacked my last few fights. And I've, and I've, I've kind of rushed into fights. And I've forced the issue, and and when I force issues, and I load up, and then I, I create openings for myself, and uh, I think it becomes it comes with the tension and the territory where I found myself over these last few years, uh, more than maybe five, six years. It's been a long time, man. I, uh, Ralph Lauren, all these other things that that mount that way, and I, I let kind of get into my head, and I let this shit weigh on my shoulders, and, and uh, you know, it's just. I'm not in that place in my life. I'm, I'm in a great place. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for myself. I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. I started thinking about making money and not just winning world championships. Um, I'm not thinking about making money. I'm thinking about fucking fighting. I'm thinking about doing myself to justice. I thought it was a good answer there from Rockhold. And I do believe, you know, some of that to be true. The whole idea of, you know, maybe in the past... What got him into trouble was chasing the money and the celebrity side of this life. And, you know, he did get sent to hell by Patty Stanger, our millionaire matchmaker, for his, you know, uh, the way he dealt with those girls. Uh, but that, that was obviously before on his come up. But you get the point. Um, those defensive deficiencies need to be closed. But maybe it is more deep within Rockhold where if he did clean up some of that, some of the focus on the wrong things. And if the focus is back where it needs to be, and look, for him to have success at 37, the focus is going to have to be, un, you know, un, undefeated here, unblemished. I mean, that's going to have to be guaranteed a foundational stronghold structure. If it is, could this fight be differently? Potentially, it could. And let's not forget, as Rockhold's been talking all week, that if he is able to take this fight to the ground and, and work from top position, I mean, he's a demon. He is. Look, you, it's easy. It, same thing with Chris Weidman. And, and, you know, their careers were certainly intertwined. Um, and I still have the... Rockhold Weidman 2 UFC 199 poster that never happened, but you know, they're intertwined where it's like the ways things fell apart for Rockhold and Weidman around the same time, and then seeing them get knocked around a few times by big names trying to recover, it can be easy to forget what both were like in their initial runs and how awesome, how dominant, how great. I mean, Luke Rockhold, go back and watch the Machida win, obviously the the early split decision win against Jacare for the Strike Force title, but you know how quickly he bounced back from that Belfort knockout, those wins in succession which led up to him winning the title. I mean, it, you know, him kickboxing fantastic, but him in top position on the ground, he's nasty. He's nasty. So, um and he'll tell you about it. In fact, Shaq asked him about that potential. Are you you know, one of the best grapplers in the game today. And is that an overrated part of your game? Let's go to Shaquille. I think I'm the best grappler in MMA. I, I really, they don't talk about my grappling because I don't go for submissions. I go for position. I'm more of a position guy because position always wins over submission. People risk positions by going for submissions. And I just dominate position and, and look for dominance and, and just beat the, beat the life out of a fan. So um, I use my jiu-jitsu to, to gain an advantage in position. Um, rather than seeking submissions all the time. I think that's a, it's a downfall of a lot of guys. It creates tension, and 
<clears throat> anxiety, when you chase submissions, you, you, you lose them a lot of the time. So um, I, const- I get submissions to get top position and, and to gain an advantage, a tactical advantage. Um, that's my that's my role, and I think that's a lot of the reason why. What's up? Um, I, I don't think anybody competes with me in this game on the ground. It would be a one-sided show against Damian Maia if we ever fought. It would be a one-sided show against anybody. I think it would be a one-sided show. I promise you that. I don't think anybody grapples me in this game in MMA. All right, you know, am I surprised that Rockholt would be <laughs> would be that confident and arrogant? No, I mean, one-sided show against Maya, but I do like the spirit of of his answer in saying because he's p- p- position over submission, which you hear a lot. Uh, you know, it, it does make him more dangerous in ways that glossy submissions, you know, can cover up. Like uh, he doesn't have a ton of those glossy submissions because of why he uses his uh, grappling and jujitsu skills to set up. Everything else, again, could be in play for this. And uh, I, I encourage you, though, to check out this interview at length on uh, on YouTube, on the Shaq MMA channel, Shaquille Majori. Uh, a lot of Rockhold's comments, as I mentioned earlier, and teased about fighter pay and unionizing and all that. I mean, they're, they're, they couldn't be more timely. And I think um, he's feeling himself right now in terms of kind of saying, look, I, I don't feel like I have a ton to lose. Let me be really honest and, and try to help and educate others. And I, 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 I can appreciate that. I really can. And, you know, I think he was also feeling himself this week in the press conference. And, you know, it seemed like that old spark for Rockhold was back from at least the trash-talking segment. He's talking over Costa. He's calling him names. I mean, I haven't heard that in a while. I, mean, I really feel like, I mean, we all remember Rockhold got handled by Bisping in the trash-talking lead-up to UFC 199. And just, you know, I mean, that press conference, I was there in L.A., Bisping just dominated him and kind of shut him down. And even in the post-fight press conference, after knocking him out, they were still kind of going at it. I do see an older, wiser, more confident Rockhold. Again, will it be enough? BC says no, but I've loved Luke Rockhold's game for a long time, and um, I'd love to see a renaissance. Let's get, though, Paulo Costa's opinion on Luke Rockhold, the person, the man, the fighter, where he's at. Shaq also caught up with the Brazilian bombshell going full balls bonanza. Here's some of this sound. When I I look for Luke Rockhold, I see a very talented fighter. He he has uh, good skills on his uh, left uh, leg. He he, he kicked very well on the middle of the bar, you know, and head as well. So need to pay attention on him, of course. I'm not subestimating him. But uh, when they offered offer a look to me, uh, for the, the, the first time, I, I thought, man, I, maybe, maybe he's not uh, the, the, the name that I need right now because he's still uh, retired uh, for two or three years mm. after nobody you know raise the hands and say let's fight i i look again for 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 his name and say man he's a former champion he's dangerous but i think uh, I, i'm dangerous than than him uh i'm not at liberty to disclose the uh, location of luke's vacation spot right now but while the video was playing he just sent me a text message of uh him on the beach. It was it was from the uh, the dong point of view. All I see are fleshy thighs. But Luke seems to be enjoying himself. Uh, we'll be seeing him back here next week. Uh, you saw, you heard there, Costa's comments 
on Luke Rockhold. Again, shout out to Shaq for chasing them down. But Shaq did push Costa a little on, you know, a theme that's been a big part of it. He missed way badly ahead of the Marvin Vittori fight. I think it changed a lot of ways the way he fought that fight strategically, attitude-wise. It's been a big talking point this week. Rockhold challenged Costa at the press conference saying, like, dude, what do you weigh right now? I mean, I will say Costa shredded. I mean, he looks ready. He looks like, but but to be fair, you know, today, right now, checking the way and feed and stream and, and figuring out if Costa has made it, it is a, a talking point here. Here's Costa talking to to Shaq here on what happened against Marvin Vittori. I injured my arm three weeks before the fight, so I stopped uh, training. I I decide uh, get out of the fight, but. My team talk with me and say, no, we, we can do this. We use more kicks, more Muay Thai stuff. I start to do uh, different things, but not train so hard as I I, I should to, to train, you know. So my weight is, uh, uh, keep very high. UFC recommend that, you know, when, when I come. As a what was a, one Monday like this, and they they uh, put me on the scale scales, and they say you are so heavy, it's not so health. Cut you one eighty five. Let's see what do you do if you make a carry weight or move you mm-hmm. to two five. And after that, then I say that now Paulo, you fight two five, but it's not. You know, for once time, I had a problem because I, mm. I was injured. It's not because I was fat, because I was uh, uh, lazy or something like No, I was trained and I did a good performance. I think I was Robert <laughs> in that fight. But, man, uh, this is my division and I will make this with my, as, I, as we, we say in Brazil, with my legs on the back, it's so easy to make this 185 because I am motivated, I am focused, I and I I I don't have I have no injuries on this fight camp. For long six months, the first time on my on my career on the six months straight, I had no injuries. So that's amazing. I, you know, I believe a lot of that. I, you know, I do believe not only the injury played a part, but I just think he wasn't right. He wasn't right in that Vittori fight. He wasn't right, meaning Costa, in the fallout and the hangover of the, the you know, the, the reveal, which really, I mean, to go, it, hindsight is whatever, but it would have been better public image-wise for Costa to just have taken that L against Adesanya and don't mention it again. And we just go, look, kind of got handled. And, you know, they look like some... Some almost self-implosion, but he got handled by a better guy. Then to come out the way he did, and, you know, I mean, who who doesn't have a little Merlot at 4 a.m. before the biggest fight of their career? I mean, it, you know, I, I think some of that chaos certainly carried in to the Vittori fight week. Wasn't the same stakes. Um, and I do give credit, by the way, for Costa, who I thought fought a, a bad fight that night in some ways. Strategy, at least show, showing a ton of heart and being in that fight. But he sounds and looks a lot different from then. And it's not only the injury that he's talking about. I think it's mental clarity and happiness. And I think that's why he has looked so good and shredded and ready. Again, how does this play into the final prediction? It's coasted by finish. Coasted by late round finish. First round. Late first round finish. I think Rockhold, a lot of the things he says about the new man is true. 
That new man's still going to get knocked out by, by Paulo Costa. I think that's where the, how the equation ends. Just one man's opinion, though. The rest of this card, uh, look, this might be the best fight in the card. We've been talking about it all week. The Bantamweight tilt. Potential title applications, of course. In fact, Jose Aldo, the former featherweight king, who we've already seen lose a Bantamweight title bi uh, bid, uh, coming off a loss, by the way, has rebounded so good. Three-fight win streak. He's a plus-115 underdog, but he said all week, if I beat Marab, Devalish Willie on Saturday, I, I deserve the next title shot. I mean, name-wise, uh, who he's beaten to get here, that would be a four-fight win streak. And over somebody as red-hot as Marab, uh, who very much, I got I to add another hammer or mallet or sickle or hoe. A lot of hoes in this wooden cabinet here of Russian area extended hammers. Um, Eastern European hammers, if you will. Marab looks like he can be of that group, although obviously he's a little bit different. Cardio, wizard, wrestling, all that. But this is real here. This is a among the most crowded, deep, deepest, dangerous divisions we've ever seen. There's so many great fights all happen around the same time. The guy who shows the best is going to get the, the winner of Aljo versus Dillashaw. And I think, yes, of course, in a lot of ways, O'Malley has a lead on this. But Jose Aldo could do big things here. Now, can he do it? That's the question. This is a great fight. A great matchup. This is the best fight on the card. I mean, I don't even think that's arguable. The three rounds is interesting. You know, Aaron Bronson on Wednesday thought that would favor Devos Wheelie. That would allow him to, to, to be a cardio maniac, even on a higher level than he normally is. And could this be potential kryptonite for Aldo? Of course. Although Aldo, obviously... To be that, for that long, to be that great of a striker and beat those names, you have to be able to have firm take down defense, and he does. But there are some changes of who Aldo is at this weight class. And, you know, one of those, one of those hits is, you know, can't, at this age, at this weight class, is there enough in there for him to have to pl play the ragdoll fight and play the high-level, high-speed, three-round sprint? Well, I think you can argue the same thing, you know, for him over a five-round fight, too. Um, it's going to come down to him, obviously, controlling those situations to not let in the beginning of those realities, which is him on his back, which is him having to play catch-up and scurrying and using up all of his, you know, speed. All, I mean, I'm sorry, all of his endurance and, and strength in trying to fight off Marab's advances on the ground. If Jose can do that, it is a completely different fight. I do think at the end of the day, we're not questioning as much, you know, when will age kept, keep up, catch up, excuse me, with Jose because the recent run, the three-fight win streak, he's been incredible. I don't fear that either, although you can't overlook that potential. I think the biggest question is, is how good is Marab really? This is the fight that'll tell us that. Um, he showed certain things in that comeback against Marais that, you know, that play up how strong his intangibles appear to agree even be appear to be even beyond the gas tank, which may be the best in the sport today, even beyond the wrestling ability. It's a tough son of a bee. And, you know, he trains with a very high level team and this is a huge opportunity to him. Can he raise this game? If his plan a is not the plan that's going to get him the win. Can he use the, the, the speed and the, in the cardio to, to raise his striking to a level that we haven't seen it against somebody who will need to be on point with because Josie Aldo at Bantamweight is a brick shit house who can stop you with clean power shots, can change the momentum of the fight, can dig to the body and hurt you. He can do a lot of bad things. Obviously, again, if you can see the future and tell me Marab's going to spend half this fight on the ground, that Marab is going to attack that gas tank. 
I, I don't dislike Marab at minus 135 then if that's the scenario. But for him to really earn this and prove this, that he's ready to be in that title picture, because I think of, of all the names who are in these big fights, we probably think Marab, you know, unless he goes out there and knocks Jose Alt, probably has not as good of a chance as some of these other guys have caught in the line and making that move. I think that's fair. But does he have the striking game? I, I think the best scenario would be that he would have to prove that he does, that Aldo could keep it himself and keep his back off the ground for long, sustained periods and that we find out exactly who Marab is. Man, this is tough. All week I've been back and forth, and I think you know the odds tell you it's fair to go back and forth. I mean, do you like Aldo at plus money? Of course. I mean, plus, uh, just plus 115. I mean, this has the potential to be a great fight in which both can win it. I can certainly see Aldo's skill just being too much and saying, look, Marab may have his day one day. He's very good, but is he well-rounded enough to be great? And it doesn't, you, don't, you don't always have to be well-rounded enough to be great, by the way. I mean, look, Usman won the championship as a wrestler. Look at Habib. Look at all of that. It's a pick 'em, man. It really is. It really is. Jose, I do think, is the more skilled fighter. He may have more ways to win this. But you got to keep Marab away from that A game. And in a three round window, maybe AB is right. He is going to be slinging and bringing and really has the, the, the onus to be as aggressive as possible. Maybe not full on Maya versus Woodley shamelessly. I'm just shooting all day and all night on you, no matter what, you know, if I have success or not. You know, I don't know. Oh, man, it's like this. You know, I think a lot of us are going through this. Like in the moment, you're like, I don't really know. And again, that's what makes this a great fight. There are reasons for me to believe that Marab has a lot more that he can show us. A little bit younger. But Jose is still Jose. I, I think I got to pass on that. I think I got to pull Luke Thomas and play Switzerland and just let it play out. Great fight. Can't wait to find out. Uh, very quickly, because you know, BC promised you a hard 90 minutes in and out here. Uh, Marcin Tybura against Alexander Romanov is a very good uh, offering to us to see exactly where Ro Romanov is, the Moldovian, the heavyweight, who has been an astronomical betting favorite against the likes of Chase Sherman, record-breaking, now minus 350 against the plus 290 Tybura. Aaron Brownstetter on Wednesday really liked what Tybura brings to this, this matchup as a potential kryptonite, needing, you know, potentially to force Alexander Romanov to show us different things that he hasn't, and that he could be the type of kryptonite at plus 290 here that can do something. I, you know, I don't disagree with that. I just think I'm starting to believe, having gone back and rewatched the, the complete rise here for Romanov since coming to the UFC, yeah, dude, this dude is something special beyond just, you know, an ability to take, take them fools to Suplex City in a, in a you know, exaggerated Lesnar-type variety. Um, like talking about Marab potentially making the leap into a performance we haven't seen from him yet because Aldo makes him, I would prefer Tybura to be as tough as we expect his skill set to be against somebody like Romanov who has less experience. I want to see Romanov challenged. I want to see him have to earn this. But I think he does, and I think he gets the stoppage, and I think we do have to recalibrate how we're talking about heavyweight and the crowded picture. Is Ngannou coming back? Is John Jones really going to fight in December at UFC 282 like he teased? And will that be against Stipe or Ngannou? We don't know yet. But I think Romanov's coming on, so watch out for that this weekend. And, you know, shout-out to Harry Humbuckler for facing Tyson Pedro as well. Uh, that's where I'm going to have to hold off on this main card because, as I mentioned 
the rest of this weekend is bat shit crazy. Topic number two. Now, just for a record, uh, we did the full PFL 9 preview on Wednesday's show. Uh, you can check out, if you want, Emmanuel Navarrete defending his title for ESPN Top Rank this weekend. But we haven't hit up BKFC London, so let's do that in topic two. It's going to go down 1 p.m. Eastern on Saturday in that same window that the Joshua Usyk undercard's happening and a lot of other things are going on. We also have PFL, as I mentioned, in uh, in the UK as well. But this is that circus carnival weird i guess i gotta kind of have to see this fight michael venom page allowed by bellator brass to sort of do this one-off headlining against platinum mike perry who has already found success at bkfc beat julian lane didn't allow him to bang had a uh, actually a, a real hard-fought good win before that in the triller uh what do we call that that ring cage weird triad thing where he took on slugger michael seals a a former boxer on a, on a decent level as, as a threat and and you know took big punches and outboxed him so platinum mike perry not only having the bare knuckle experience but having some of this weird crossover hybrid and let's remember bkfc you can hold and dirty box and mvp has talked this week about you know really working on greco training he does enter this fight as the more experienced in this type of off uh, assault in in fights set up and uh, i'm sure a lot of us saw the weird back and forth as you could expect that happened on the mma hour with ariel hawani this week when both appeared and talked trash and mike perry's got dyed orange hair and you know you if anyone saw the face off in london this week he's a lot shorter than mvp you know is mvp at the end of the day the better mma fighter and better pure striker and more dangerous yes 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 but not everybody makes this same transition to the bare knuckle game and is as comfortable with not only the carving aspects that happen to you in the middle of this fight, but the chance, but just some of the realities that you can't load up with every shot. You know, MVP is not going to be able to use the threat of kicks to control distance. He may have to end up grappling and be in a dirty box sort of street fight. There's a lot of scenarios that make Mike Perry an interesting underdog heading into this fight. I mean, even Pauli Malnagy came out of retirement for what we all thought would be an easy, you know, boxing showcase with the bare knuckles against the GOAT Artem Lobov. And look, at the end of the day, I did think Malnagy got screwed on the scoring, but it almost didn't matter. That ended up being a fight in some ways. And Malnagy got carved up because, again, it's not the same traditional for MMA or traditional boxing it's not the same thing. It's different. It's why some of these characters are popping up on the male and female side in BKFC, and they're having moments because it's a different game. Now, back to the reference I made of the Ariel Hawani interview. Yeah, it was weird. They had respect for each other, but also Perry trying to play it up. He had that one comment that got a lot of traction where he uh, looked into the camera at MVP and said, quote, your head looks like a ball sack. You look like testicles, and the hair on your chin looks like cooch hair. And I'm going to shove my fist up your ass. End quote. I mean, you can put that on a you know t-shirt or a movie poster. And, you know, it's ridiculous type of fare that you would expect me to regurgitate at you. But who actually wins this fight? Am I ready to go full verge and tell you this is a setup here? Like, like the, we were all surprised when this fight happened. When I say setup, I mean setup for a trap night for MVP. We were all surprised when this fight was booked. Not only the the fact that Paige, who just lost an interim title welterweight bout to Logan Storley, but you really could have argued should have won under the the you know premise of what the scoring is in MMA. Although you can counter that based on some of the letter of the law stuff we've talked about with impact over damage and all that. But it's a shock to see him go from the damn title level to 
BKFC. Now, does he have the potential to get paid maybe the biggest of his career? I mean, yeah, there's that potential. That's why a Malinaji would come out of retirement. That's why it's the last stop in a lot of ways. Outside of Paige Van Zandt, who came close enough to the midst of her physical prime and kind of became a brand for them. Although, by the way, Paige was supposed to be on this card and it got pulled. The fight's going to happen down the road a little bit. Um, most of the time, this is the last stop on the combat sports journey, right? This is the, this is the, this is the gas station hot dog of the group. Um, to see MVP do that in the midst, it was shocking. You do have to wonder if he's getting into something that he's not prepared for. I don't really know. Does that up the intrigue? Yes. Just like just seeing Mike Perry in any element ups the intrigue for me. And really, as we talked about, BKFC might be perfect for Mike Perry in a lot of ways. It really plays into his strengths. And if we're being honest, BKFC... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply doesn't play into Michael Venom Page's strengths. His strengths are controlling you from distance and using the ridiculous threat of his video game striking, which, by the way, is just as much what happens below his waist than above, the knees, the kicks, all of that. Without that there, with Perry's uh, uh, potential ability to close that gap and not worry as much about getting slept, although it's obviously still could happen, and, and BKFC is weird, meaning where you don't always load up because of how much damage you can do to your fist, but it really does take the one perfect punch to, to, to move the chin, and you can do that bare knuckle, you know, just as well, just as easier as you could with four-ounce gloves. But without the kicks, without the takedowns, without all that stuff, Mike Perry's going to have a shot at Eden 1 to get inside, and then you got to ask yourself, what does this look like? It's not that MVP is not trained or not skilled enough to, to work in the clinch or, or some of this dirty boxing scenario. But how is he going to respond if he gets carved up? I mean, this is a weird-ass sport. There's, there's still that you know, borderline illegal slash county fair slash medieval feel to this, that UFC 1 feel. That's still some of the calling card of BKFC because dudes get carved up and knocked cold. I mean, it happens. I like Mike Perry's chances here. I like his chances. I'm not going out right on the upset pick here because at the end of the day, Michael Page is still in his physical prime. Michael Page can still punch. I mean, the dude can punch. You get you get him a chance to extend on one. I mean, obviously, he can punch. But it's going to be up to Perry to close that gap. And if he can, we know Mike Perry's got a great chance. If he can take big punches, if he's willing to make this a gross, <laughs> bloody fight, which, yeah, last time I checked, Mike Perry is willing to do that. Might be might be worth your time. It's gonna it's gonna air on pay per view on the fight uh, app. Uh, you can check that out. But um, I'm gonna be watching. I'm gonna be taking notice here. We'll get back to that on Monday. Just a quick house cleaning update. 
Uh, Luke Thomas will be back live next Wednesday. He'll be traveling home uh, the next few days. Monday, though, Sugar Rashad Evans. And we have this loaded weekend to, re to respond to in boxing and MMA. It's going to be a great episode. You're going to enjoy that. Let's go to topic three and keep the ball rolling here. Half hour to go on this BC Live solo special. Boy, I could go half hour. I can go two hours on how excited I am for this. It's going to go down on, on regular zone, 12 Eastern, the start of the main card. I think the main event they're projecting around 515-ish, but it's Alexander Usyk against Anthony Joshua Part 2. Three of four heavyweight titles at stake. In theory, the winner would advance and face WBC champion Tyson Fury for all four belts. First time in heavyweight history in this modern four-belt era we could have a an undisputed... And we've had three-belt undisputed champions. It's not like it hasn't happened. It's not like we haven't had a face of heavyweight boxing but to really have that official one face, one name, as I always talk about, I mean, it's sexy. It's what we want. We lived through the Klitschko era. We finally have, you know, a group of fun, competitive guys here. And as we learned last September in their first meeting, Usyk, who is pound for pound ranked, who is unbeaten, who is the former cruiserweight undisputed champion. Yeah, he, he can play at heavyweight too. And he pulled that upset by not only outboxing Joshua, although we rightfully criticized AJ for not being physical enough for trying to outbox the wizard, the boxer. But Usyk also needed to do things like land hard, clean left hands early to let AJ know that if you try to become the guy maybe that you should have been the first fight, you could get knocked out. There is a price to pay. And AJ has had some flashy chin issues in the past, as we have talked about ad nauseum. So there are two prevailing storylines and things that, that surround this fight that I think need to be taken into account as we look at who wins this. And... If you're wondering now on the odds, again, I thought AJ would still be the betting favorite because he's the bigger man, he's the proven knockout finisher and all that. But he's not fighting in his backyard anymore like he was in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last September. This will be on somewhat neutral ground of, of Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Plus 160, Anthony Joshua, your underdog. Minus 205, according to Caesars, Usyk the favorite. The two prevailing narratives are this that play into this legitimately. For, for AJ... It's, it's, you know, he called it a must win. And to his credit, he has done this before. When he got stopped in 2019 and upset by Andy Ruiz, he did come back six months later. And although we somewhat criticized him for a passive, safe boxing performance against a very bloated and not ready for prime time in that moment, Ruiz, he did get the win and, and avenged himself. Just like he got up off the canvas against Klitschko and knocked him out. Just like, look, AJ's not only learned on the job, he's been vulnerable on the job but part of this legacy about him so far is that he's got, a, he's got a backbone to get back up and try again. This is going to be different this time because he finally, after being criticized for years, made the trainer change. Rob McCracken out, Robert Garcia in. Now, we've seen the promotional, or not the, the, the videos on social media, which are now sort of almost acting like promotional videos, of AJ digging to the body, which he didn't do enough of in the first fight. And if you're telling me he's going to come in with the Mexican-American style from Robert Garcia and dig in and slow Usyk down and pull on his gas tank and lean on him like a prime Klitschko and be the bigger man, yeah, you're going to like AJ's potential chances a lot more. The whole Robert Garcia experiment, which we don't know whether it will lead to a monster success or, again, not every trainer is, is the perfect match for every fighter, it, it, it could not work. It could be a disaster, okay? Like right now, who's the hot trainer of the moment? Well, Derek James, for sure, who has Spence and Jamel Charlo, but how about Eddie Reynoso of Team Canelo? And while Reynoso has picked up a number of other big-name fighters since the success with Canelo, and oh, by the way, has had big success with a few of them, including Oscar Valdez when he knocked out Miguel Burchelt, there have been others like Luis Netti, 
who just hasn't really worked out. You know, where they tried it, they said, look, this isn't the style for me. So it's, you gotta have the right motivator, the right communication skills. You also have the right ability to not try to change a guy, but to try to improve and alter in the right ways some of those deficiencies. Robert Garcia has done that before. I mean, he took Marcos Maidana from a fun, exciting TV brawler and sharpened up his eccentricities and the weird parts about his danger, what makes him great, Maidana's ability to throw punches from crazy angles and get inside and put that pressure. And, dude, he made him dangerous to the level that he fought Floyd Mayweather to a majority decision loss on pay-per-view. I mean, like, it, it happened. I was there. I saw it. That's a big storyline scenario of can he make legitimate change in AJ style? Did AJ play it too safe in the first fight? Well, yes, overall. But it, I don't think it was the kind of too safe like it was against Ruiz, where I think he boxed. He only boxed because Ruiz came in so fat, and maybe that was the, maybe that was a, a really clear way to victory. But I think he was also still maybe not fully back mentally from where he needed to be after, again, he fought Andrew Ruiz, who was a late replacement, and this was Madison Square Garden, New York. Like This was AJ's arrival, his U.S. debut. It was being played up like, like a rock star was arriving, like, like the British invasion was coming to the States. This is... And he played it safe against Ruiz. Now, he didn't play it safe against Usyk, but he tried to outbox the boxer. He had good success in the middle round, going to the body, you know, get, establishing the right hand, but there wasn't enough output. There wasn't enough physicality. He's six foot six and jacked. He's got, what, a four inch reach advantage over Usyk, a three and a half inch height advantage. Uh, they weighed in this morning. And Usyk actually, despite all the talk about Usyk being more muscular and, and bigger this time, he came in the exact same weight, 221 pounds, with, I think, seven-tenths of a pound added on. AJ's going to be 244. He's going to have, you know, that 20-something pound weight advantage. He's going to need to use it. It's not just the establishment of punches to the body under Robert Garcia. It's, I've got to lean on Usyk. I've got to corner Usyk. He's got to do a lot of things like cut off the ring and not follow that he did not do in the first fight. But none of these things can be done, by the way, without the intentionality that says, I'm willing to risk getting knocked out in order to try to punch with Usyk and show everybody that I'm the bigger man with the bigger power. Because you have to ask yourself, what are Joshua at age 31, I believe, or 32, what are his strengths in this one? Well, it's not speed, it's not IQ, it's not defense, it's not, you know, movement, it's not a lot of those things. But it is absolute punching power. Um, he's smarter than people realize, but his advantages here are his punching power and his size and, and his explosiveness. He's got to use those in way more ways than just power punches. It's got to be, you know, a little dirty boxing. It's got to be a lot of those elements. Can Robert Garcia do that or is it too much too soon? A lot of questions to be answered. The other prevailing storyline in terms of how it might affect this fight... You, I watched the press conference for this fight that happened earlier this week. And a lot of people are talking about Alexander Usyk in the face-off and in the press conference. And by the way, he's always typically doesn't give you a lot to work with, even through the translation. He doesn't say a lot of words, right? He's a funny dude, but when it gets time to fight, he's zoned in and serious, and he's not the kind that's going to talk a lot and give you stuff. But his manager and promoter were talking a lot. And they said that, like, boxing wasn't even on his mind when the Ukraine-Russian conflict started. And he went, like a lot of the combat sports, you know, Yaroslav, Amosov, Lomachenko, he went to the front lines and to some degree entered war, right? And But the, the message that came out of that is Usyk kept going, like, to the front line and meeting soldiers, to the hospitals and meeting, you know, injured uh, soldiers, and to the, you know, towns and meeting the townspeople. 
And everyone said to him, we need you to fight. Get back in the ring. Take the rematch. Like for our country, for our pride, for our everything, we need you. So this has now become, I mean, almost almost spiritual, right? Like, like there's a purpose beyond boxing. And I know you could say, okay, that, that's great. It's romantic. But what does that mean in the ring? I think it actually... I think it actually could mean a lot. Here's why. Rafe Bartholomew said it on Wednesday's show, great. Like, Usyk is already one of the most mentally tough fighters we've seen. You know, he's an Olympic gold medalist. By the way, he won the Olympic gold in 2012 at heavyweight, the same year AJ won that super heavyweight. But, you know, to, to have that run at cruiserweight and now to come up at heavyweight, he's giving away things like size, punching power. He's not a finisher himself. His chin, like it did when he unified cruiserweight belts against Myris Brightus in their you know, fight of the year candidate. And like it did, you know, in this last fight against AJ, where when we re when Luke and I rewatched it, you'll notice Usyk took some damage. You know, he had to, to win that. I mean, he took legitimate damage. He's mentally tough enough and has reason enough to fight now at a crazy level that it is beyond boxing for him. To hear his promoter, Alexander Krashik, go in detail about like, like, you know, in, in modern times like this, we've never seen, or maybe ever, really, to be fair, we've never seen a, a boxer come off the front lines of war and walk into the ring in boxing representing their... I mean, like, you know, you can definitely look at Joe Lewis, Max Schmeling, part two, and all the political overtones in that fight, and that's why, along with Ali Frazier one, that's arguably the biggest fight of all time, from, like, how many ears were against the radios, how many people's hearts were in, like, a life-and-death moment for their country supporting that. We haven't had something like that in American boxing probably since then, right? In a long-ass time. This Ukrainian conflict is, is you know, for the people, especially Usyk, who was on the front lines for a period, you, you don't think this could, this could affect his motivation? So not only has he had that scary look that a lot of people are talking about this week, the, the shaved head, but with that mini ponytail right here. And if you're wondering, you know, what the heck is that? Let, let's talk about that. Usyk had that when he won uh, gold at the Olympics in 2012. It's called a... Oseletus, I'm pronouncing that probably, I'm butchering it probably, O-S-E-L-E-D-E-T-S. -E -E it's a traditional haircut of the Cossacks, who were warrior people from South and East Ukraine and also parts of what is now Russia. I mean, when he brings that, that out, typically in his career, it, it, it's go time, it's serious time. And yes, he is, even though for he's a joker for the most part, he has had this crazy serious look that this is bigger than boxing, that he's almost simulating what he and his other countrymen have done going to war, legitimate war. He's now simulating it potentially in the ring to, to, as his promoter put it, show the rest of the world that the colors on the Ukraine flag stand for, you know, unshakable and, and, and love and all this stuff. Like there's a giant message he's looking to deliver here with his performance. He was one of those guys who was like, you know, like screw the J AJ rematch. Like I'm, I'm not only giving up my livelihood to go to the front line and risk it. Like, Everyone should be doing that. And by the way, we've seen that same spirit up to the top to the Klitschko brothers. I mean, it's been incredible. And I, and I love in the States seeing all the, the colors of the flag and the signs in people's yards supporting, you know, in a lot of ways as they should. Um, this is big. And, and to hear Igus Klimas, the manager of, of Usyk, say, I've never seen someone go through a hell of training camp like I've watched him. Apparently, Usyk rode uh, 100 kilometers on his bicycle in 113 degree heat in Saudi Arabia in the past few weeks. He swam five hours in a pool before the press conference and then held his breath trying to, he's doing these 
underwater breathing techniques of, of holding his breath for as long as he could. And apparently he got as long as four minutes and 40 seconds before Klimas said he was shaking and, and almost passed away. Now, again, there could be very romantic details you throw in there of Lucky Lindbergh, you know, grabs, grabs the dame and, and gives morale to the troops, right? It's great. But I've seen this intense spirit before in Usyk, but not on this level. And if any of that is true, it's telling you that he's going into this ring to win this fight no matter what. And he's already one of the most mentally tough in this game. And he, in, and he doesn't have some of those implosive, self-implosive tendencies that at times AJ has shown. Yeah, this affects the fight. If, here's the deal. And I, I said this sort of as an afterthought to Rafe on Wednesday when we previewed the storylines of this fight. And I said, look, you know, is there a scenario where Usyk who's not the bigger puncher by any means and doesn't have fight-ending power at heavyweight, but can land clean shots to the chin, stiff, clean shots from various angles, different speeds, different, you know, I mean, he's a dynamic. Is there a scenario in which he knocks Joshua out, in which he, you know, drops Joshua and gasses him and stuff? Of course there is. And if he comes in there with a the mindset that he must do that, or... If AJ has the kind of success we're saying he will need to have to win the rematch, does that open a scenario in which they're fighting and not boxing? Yeah, and it certainly does because that's AJ's best chance to win if he's willing to take the risk. And by the way, I think he would be. I think AJ is tied into the idea that his true legacy is how he's gotten up from being knocked down, right? How he's come back from things. I mean, that's AJ is, he's awesome. Seriously, I mean, you got to respect Anthony Joshua. But I got to respect why this matters so much to Usyk and why just the same. He, like, here's, like, here's the underlying thing in this fight. Who has the, the best potential to do better than the first fight? Joshua, by a landslide, right? If he can cut off the ring, if he can slow Usyk down, if he's willing to stand and punch with Usyk, meaning they both throw combinations at the same time rather than one trying to counter the other or tanking turns. If this becomes a two-way punching match, the, the idea that Joshua's chances of victory go up huge is true. But Usyk, who has taken big shots from big punchers in the past, and he's had to to get the win. And by the way, don't forget the fight he had before the Joshua fight, the, the Derek Chisora fight, which was his first real test at heavyweight. He had to deal with a lot of physical stuff coming at him, and he only won by close margins on that scorecard. Look, I thought he won comfortably in the eye test. But the judges gave a lot of credit to what Chisora did in pushing that pressure in ways, again, that AJ didn't do in September. If AJ does that, does it increase his chances of winning without question? But does it increase his chances of losing in a spectacular way just the same? Yeah, because Andrew Ruiz was never a big puncher either. But it was that, that left hook that hit the side of the head of AJ and hit his, messed up his equilibrium and in, a, in the ring... You don't always get knocked out after an equilibrium shot, but in most cases, you set up your exit a couple rounds later. You know, look at, I mean, God, look at Sergio Martinez against Miguel Cotto. Yes, the leg didn't, the knee didn't respond, Campion, but he got equilibriumed in the first knockdown by Cotto in round one in that wild scene at Madison Square Garden. One of the best one round fan experiences I ever had there, although the fight obviously went longer and was one sided, but the equilibrium shots can change everything. So could Usyk landing that one perfect shot on the chin as Joshua is throwing. He's going to have to absorb a lot. I could see both going not getting knocked down. Here's what I'm saying here. The drama in this rematch, first fight was really good. Intense, dramatic, good technical adaptions and all that. Wasn't blood and guts, wasn't, you know, nuts. This fight might get nuts. 
And I think the winner's going to win by knockout. If you like Anthony Joshua by plus money by knockout, it's not a bad bet. In fact, you can argue it's the best bet. Is there just as much potential for AJ to box better than the first one? And maybe you didn't think he won, but maybe the judges give it to him for whatever reason. He's the bigger star, maybe the pressure he put, whatever. There's a lot, there's potential there as well. But I think with what matters the most and what's, what these guys are fighting for, it may end up being knockout or nothing because I think one or both of them is going to lead it there. But I like Usyk, especially with this motivation and this, this, this streak that he's on mentally right now. I think he stops Anthony Joshua in the 10th round. And that'd be, I mean, that win would mean so much more to his nation than we probably understand as, as Americans, wherever you're watching this from. But to his legacy, dude... And you know, I love I love me some Tyson Fury. I love me some Tyson Fury. But if he if he does if Usyk wins this and Tyson Fury is suddenly retired again and wants to fight you know in Ghana or whatever, and look, I'm not stopping him from making his money. Do whatever the hell you want. But if he does anything but walk in the direction of an undisputed championship against Usyk, it'll be a scarlet letter. It'll be a stain because they both deserve. We deserve the the sport deserves this this summit of the winner of this fight against Tyson Fury next. And obviously Fury would prefer AJ. It's a much bigger fight financially. God, you could do it in a stadium with as many people as you can pack it, right? But it's also an easier fight potentially for Tyson Fury. Him against Usyk, if Usyk wins this, and if Usyk wins this by stoppage in this scenario that I'm presenting, I mean, look, dude, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting ass fight. And do I still love Fury? Head-to-head over, over Usyk in a lot of categories. Yeah, of course. He'd have to be the betting favorite. You'd have to believe because Fury can do it all. But I really hope he's willing to fight either guy. Or it would be a stain. I'm sorry. It would be Tyson Fury. All right, let's keep the train moving here. BC fired up. I feel like I can go three hours right now whether you're willing to go there with me or not. Uh, topic number three that was topic number three. Number four is Showtime Championship Boxing. Look, no more Adrian Broner, as we talked about. There's been a lot of fallout and talk about mental health. And is this is Broner being serious when everything else he does is joking? Is he using the system? I, I don't know. I don't know at the end of the day, but I want Adrian Broner to be healthy. And what I do know is the replacement main event is actually a better fight. It really is. Seriously. Sergey Lipnets, the former champion at 140, who was on this card for this exact reason, it seems, off TV, needing, a, you know, needing and wanting a comeback win. But for this potential, if this happened, well, it happened. This fight's going to be at 140. And the thing about Lipinets, when he did lose at the highest level, right? I mean, he retired Lamont Peterson in a great, great welterweight brawl. But when he fought Boots Ennis, I mean, like, you're asking a lot. Lipinets really is a 140-pounder. That's where he won his world title in, like, 10 pro fights. That's where he gave Mikey Garcia a hard night, even though he lost the title that night. He's going back down to 140. And he's facing an Omar Figueroa Jr. who's not only as exciting as it gets but has legitimate questions. Legitimate. Legitimate questions. Been out for a long time. Has never established himself above 135. Um, sometimes brawls too much. And now has had legitimate mental health challenges himself that he's gone through and got to this point. This fight with their styles can be nothing but a war. And it's going to go down 8 p.m. Eastern. It's a quadruple header. You're going to get rising puncher and prospect Brandon Lee, who did big things on Showtime before recently making the leap to this championship level. He's going to open this four-fight card. It's going to be worth your time there in South Florida. Don't forget, by the way, 6 p.m. Eastern, YouTube, Showtime Sports Channel. It's a preliminary, early action, two-fight card, me, Keith Thurman. I mean, come on. It's going to be great entertainment. What's this fight going to look like? It's going to be all action. 
And I really like Lipinets' chances here, even though he's coming in as the replacement. And, you know, Vegas does too. Caesars having the new replacement Lipinets as a minus 295 favorite against the plus 220 Omar Figueroa Jr. I think Figueroa is going to have to prove today on the scales that he can, you know, after this much time off, that he can make 140. He'd been at 147 before, and he'd been handled handily by the likes of your Dennis Ugas, or, or I think he'd fight, what, Abel Ramos, who, who knocked him knocked him out. This is a big fight for him to try to restore, and I think he's been motivated uh, by his brother, Brandon Figueroa, becoming a, a stud in this sport and, you know, winning a title at 122, having the fight of the year against Stephen Fulton, now proving at featherweight that he's doing big things. I think it's helped motivate Omar, and I talked to Omar, and the, the video never ended up getting published because it was before when the Broner fight was still on, but we've got some of the sound to just try to check in on what's changed for Omar Figueroa Jr. during this layoff. I got my mentals in order, man. That, that's been the main thing. This whole past year, I've been through hell and back many, many, many times. And if, if anyone watching this has ADHD, they know exactly what we put ourselves through. So the hells that I've lived have, have been more than worth it because I'm here. And like you said, I'm happier than ever. I'm healthier than ever. And I've never been better. Uh, let's throw to our final two pieces of sound here uh, for Figueroa back to back. But the, but there is some questions here because my interview with him was it's kind of wild. I mean, he he teared up during it and he's been and he did that a lot this week. And again, I mean, I've gone through mental health challenges and still endure it like a lot of people like the great Moro Ronaldo, who's such an ambassador with his bipolar rock and roller documentary on Showtime. Like I respect this more than anyone. And I like that Brandon Figueroa has essentially like got to a certain point where he recognized that it's not just, you know, let's not talk about this because of Mexican machismo. Like, let I, I, I got to deal with myself and he's dealt with it and I'm happy for him. But, you know, he hasn't fought in a while and this is a tough fight here and this is going to be a big test for him. So, you know, there's been some people questioning, is could he still be the same guy? I asked him about this. I hope he can be. But, you know, even in my full interview, which was never made the light of day, you know, he was tearing up at some point. Sometimes he's saying, look, I don't even think boxing's great for me, but I got to do this. I got to come back and do this. So maybe this is about more of a personal challenge to him, fighting himself than the opponent. Let's see how it goes. Let's hear his words about where his mind is at entering this one. Absolutely. I mean, I, I felt like I lost my mind. I don't know how many times, like I said, this past year. So this was absolutely something that, you know, that was up in the air, especially because we get punched for a living, you know? Yeah. So, you know, taking care of my my body, myself, my brain, and loving myself a little bit first time in 32 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that crossed my mind, but I was born crazy. So I don't think there's a better fit as far as like what I would be doing with my life than boxing. I love this sport and I hate that I love it so much, so <laughs> much. Like I just, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing else that would fulfill me. I think it's easy to, to you know, understand his struggle and understand his words and relate to it. You just hope that, He's really here for all the right reasons and that he's ready physically and mentally because it, he's already guaranteed a war. He guaranteed a war against Broner. I mean, look, that's what the Figueroa's do, right? They give up their height advantage. They get inside, but they got long arms. They're quick and they throw punches. Uh, this is going to be a good test for him, a, a big test in a lot of ways. So let's see if Omar can put the career back on the track because it has fallen apart. And um, 
But you got a big opportunity here. Uh, the other fights, Alberto Pueyo against uh, Akhmedov there for a vacant 140 title. Roger Gutierrez against Hector Garcia. And as I mentioned, Brandon Lee taking on Will Moderna. Uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, though, it all gets started with Keith Thurman, your boy BC, South Florida. We're going to be having a good time there. Talking about what's next for Keith. Talking about the welterweight division as a whole. Talking about these fights. Check it out. Stay for the main card, 8 p.m. Eastern, Saturday night only on Showtime. Uh, at the very least, they're going to bang. There's a lot a lot of human interest elements, but they're going to throw hands. They're going to make this happen. And for both, you can get a big fight, right, after doing this type of type of uh, showcase. So let's see what happens there. All right, here's where we're going to close. the. I got about 10 minutes-ish left. My car be waiting. You know, I'm big, big time now. I've got a car driving. I'm like, who am I? Who am I, right? Um... We got a special Friday episode. None of this, none of the normal elements will will bear fruit until next week. Uh, DMs from Don, or I'm sorry, uh, fan subs on Wednesday. Dead wrongs. I'm sure you've been stockpiling them after BC's had a week on the, on the controls. But we solicited your questions through Instagram. Let's have a little bit of fun here. DMs from Donks on this Friday. Hee haw. Hee haw. All right, we start here from. Uh, Aman Khan underscore 1998. That's another fantastic handle there. Uh, why should I bid on a pre-draft call with Brian Campbell for the CBS Fantasy Football Charity Auction? This seems like a placed question, but I'll take it just the same. Uh, here's the deal. People have asked me before, I think on the show, Gaff asked me before, you know, what causes matter to you? Like, you know, you know some of my story with, with, with my children having been born premature and having been fighting through such crazy amounts of surgeries and miracles to get to where they are. When I see a charity like St. Jude's Children's Hospital and, and I know the good that programs like that do for families that are going through that, uh, I got to stand up for it. I love that, that CBS Sports joins in that battle and, you know, we put some things up to auction. I tweeted out today that you can win an MK um, merchandising bundle if you bid on it right now on eBay. You can check out my Twitter feed for that link. And what we did last year was, uh, you know, I, they asked me, look, BC, you want to give, a, give a, a fan a chance to chat with you? There's the social handles below if you want to see what, what I was mentioning there on my Twitter feed. Um, yeah, and, and you know what? I think somebody auctioned and, 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 and somebody bid and they won a 10-minute chat last year with me. It was a bloke from, from um, oh, here, let me, I got, I got Mikey Morms is telling me, hold on. The merch packages have an autographed poster, custom packaging, and... And a $200 gift card to the Morning Combat store. So basically, you want to get to the bomber jacket level. You want to you want to get to the end of the game and beat the beat the boss. Uh, bid on this, support a great cause. Last year, somebody won from Australia. Great guy. Ten minutes with me. I'm like, ten minutes, dude. You just gave all this money to a great cause, dude. I'll talk with you as long as you want. We talked for like an hour and ten minutes about our where we come from, our fandom, great moments, all that stuff. We got that again. So that's one of the items up for bid. You want to hang out with BC on a Zoom call, whatever you want to do. Just just no. No, no stick, no sticks. All right, all right, no pipes. We didn't get that 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 site going yet, but you got what I'm saying there. And and here's the deal, um, back when my kids were there, in the hospital, uh, my son was in Boston for a long time. There was a program similar to this called the Ronald McDonald House, and basically they had a a building next to the hospitals where they'd put you up while you're you know while you're visiting your child, and you'd have no idea. It's dorm style and it's community and and stuff in a lot of ways. But you have no idea financially, peace of mind wise, what when your child is in the hospital, and you don't know if they're going to make it. And you're, you know, and you're just trying to be there and show support in any way you can and love and prayers and all that. And they have these things in place where, you know, you're not paying for hotel rooms. You're not paying, you know, and and, you know, luckily my drive was two hours to Boston. There were families there that were from the Middle East 
that this was their only chance for their children to be saved. And they were living, you know, five, six, seven, eight members in one room, you know, for months. I mean, there's people that have, you know, there's struggles and there's fights. And, you know, they, they, they stopped their life on the other side of the world and came here for six months to try to find, you know, a surgery or an answer. And, you know, places like this, St. Jude's Children's Hospital, Ronald McDonald House, all that, those are built in to, to help the families stay sane during this and help them out a little bit. I couldn't back that type of stuff more, believe me, from experience. Uh, let's keep it going here from TJ Padro. He wants to know, it's a good boxing question here. Is Demetrius Andrade, who's, you know, been such a threat across three divisions, you can't get big fights, even with Eddie Hearn in his corner, is he a real threat to Charlo, or do you think Charlo smokes him? Now, I believe we're talking about Jamal Charlo currently at 160, although there's rumors he could cut up to, he could move up to 168. Andre uh, won a title at middleweight, has willing to fight at 168. Could he be a real threat for Jamal? Absolutely. Look, here's the thing that, why people avoid Demetrius Andre. Now, look, he's a great interview. He's flashy, he talks trash, all that, but for whatever reason, the public has never seemed to deemed him marketable. But the real reason why he's also avoidable is because he's so difficult. He's long-armed. He's quick. Does he have fight-ending power? We've argued that at times, but he can hurt you with shots you don't see coming. Almost like an MVP Michael Page type of flow to how he boxes. And at any weight class, he's got the speed and length and the boxing knowledge and the willingness even if it's boring to say, look, this is the style that's going to beat you. I'm going to commit to that. Again, maybe why he doesn't always get the marketing nods, although I think he's been overall, I think he's had bad luck, I think, to be fair. Yeah, he's a real threat to Charlo. And that's why there have been a lot of people in recent years. Chris Mannix has been one of them going public and saying, like, will somebody step up and take this challenge? Will Charlo? Will somebody? Like, we can't, you know, people can't keep avoiding this guy. He does deserve the opportunity. I hope Jamal Charlo gives him that opportunity. Um, I think Eddie Hearn even got to a point promoting where it's like, I don't, I don't know what to do for you anymore. I, I couldn't get it done. I promised I couldn't get it done. It is what it is, but it's not like Andre is a, you know, I mean, look, he's had some stinker fights maybe, but it's not like he's deserves the type of, you know, journey he's had to be on and skills wise. He's a, he's a, you know, he's going to be a, he's going to, he's going to be a problem. Now it doesn't mean the judges might fully interpret what he's trying to do in that way to give him the nod. You know, he could be in close fights, but he's going to be a threat to anyone across multiple divisions. Uh, this is from Rustic Tribe Design, and i got to shout out those great folks you've seen in, in our studio at Morning Combat. The, those little wooden boxes we've got for, for you know, the alcohol holders, the, the glasses. I mean, it's like the perfect setup, especially for like a, uh, a man cave room, and they've, uh, they've done some great woodwork. Check out their stuff. But they got a question here that you know I love. What are some great movie soundtracks? And we had this debate, I think it was a DM question in the past on the show, and I wasn't equipped at that moment to give the right answers. I know everybody's probably screaming to the screen and saying, above the rim. You know, my boy Rafe Bartholomew's definitely saying that right now. I love Above the Rim. I didn't have that soundtrack, though. Personally, what are my favorite soundtracks? What do I think are the best? I think at a time, Forrest Gump was an incredible soundtrack. I remember buying it right after I exited the movie theater on opening night and saw the movie because it was such a perfect conglomeration of classic rock hits and some that you hadn't heard before or in a while. Um, and it's a double album, but that kind of age, not the same. I stand by Juice Above Above the Rim as my favorite hip-hop soundtrack. I mean, that is all killer, no filler across the board on there. Big Daddy Kane, uh, Eric B. and Rakim, it's fantastic. Um, Into the Wild, though, and this is a little bit different than your normal movie soundtrack, because this is Eddie Vedder almost essentially crafting a, 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 a album to fit the movie. If you, if you haven't heard Eddie Vedder's solo Into the Wild soundtrack album, um, it's, it's amazing. Is it as great as the best Pearl Jam stuff? Well, it's different, 
but it's 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 right there. I mean, it is freaking amazing. Um, fun nostalgic one, Empire Records. Some people remember that '90s uh, movie had some really fun sort of forgotten alternative songs on there. Almost Famous, also great collection of classic rock songs. I don't remember. Did they put the the songs from the movie in it too? I didn't own it. I had it burned, but um, great movie. We were we we rewatched that on the show. But my favorite, what I think is the best movie soundtrack of all time. It's easy. And I wish I had remembered this the last time I got this question. Dazed and confused. You remember that great 90s party movie set in the 1970s. They had two soundtracks, actually. I had them both. It is just badass, ballsy 70s classic rock. It's, it's in some ways how I got introduced for the first time to a lot of those. It, it, it still rules to this day. So Rustic Tribe Design, we love you. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, great question. Let's keep it rolling here. As my car is pulling in, but let's do a couple bonus ones here from MVB with a lot of underscores. Which current champion has a realistic shot at another belt by moving up in weight class? I'm going to assume that MVB is talking about UFC here. So most realistically is John Jones, who you saw that he tweeted out, uh, what, UFC 281? Is that the December one in Las Vegas? It looks like he's coming back there. You have to believe it's either for against Ngannou for the full championship or Stipe for the interim. I mean, is Ngannou even physically ready? I don't. I don't think so. I feel like I haven't heard in a while. John Jones probably has the best shot. Although I think the more he's sat out and the more Ngannou has sort of gotten to another level of danger pre knee injury, I did start to question my initial feeling that it's going to be automatic. John's just going to come in there and you know out slick these guys and be long and use wrestling and overcome whatever he's going to lack in punching power and chin just by being the greatest still in play. We'll see what happens. Um, outside of that, I think you have to like Israel Adesanya, even though he lost to Jan Blahovich in a fair way, it was close and it was more of a, I think there were fixable areas in there. If, and he would need to beat Alex Pedeta first, if, and I do think it's time after this fight, if he's willing to move up to 205 full-time and get his body there with him, I think it's in play that he can do this. I remember, there. yes, there was a time we're talking about, why does he just go after that and beat John Jones for the heavyweight title? And then, then when he lost to Blahovich, we stopped talking about that. Yes, there are limits in this game to how much you can you know, add on and the danger you can take on with your skill set and pull it off. But I can see him winning a light heavyweight title. Uh, Usman at light heavyweight? I mean, look, the odds would be against him. I do think if Adesanya were, were to lose or, or you know, vacate a title or whatever... Yeah, Usman could be in play. Now, Luke was a little bit, I thought, too haphazard in that pregame preview of being like, oh, man, I'd favor him against Robert Whitaker. Get the, get the hell out of here, Luke Thomas. Um, but is it possible that he can win at middleweight? Yeah, we'd love to see what that cardio and wrestling can do, or, you know, the well-rounded game. I do think a size difference, and even though his striking has gotten to a point where it's a weapon, some of those strikers, you know, the Adesanya, who we wouldn't fight, but the Adesanya, the Whitakers, I mean... I couldn't, I don't know. I think the odds would be certainly against him in both divisions, but he is great enough to find a way to do it. Uh, Henry Cejudo also, don't forget. No, I know he won titles in two divisions, and I know not everybody loves the idea of him fighting Volkanovski at featherweight for the belt. I just think he's one of those guys that I, I, I used to count out, and then I got to a point where I had to stop counting him out, and I just realized that he's smart. You see people are picking him up as a sort of trainer of the moment. He's very smart. Um... Volkanovski would probably be the most favorable matchup because of the height, whereas Hudo is already naturally very small. To have that shot, I wouldn't favor him. Uh, it's, it's more romantic, BC, going, what would that look like? But I do think it's possible. I think the second most likely outside of John Jones, though, is Valentina Shevchenko. Should she decide to go back to her old division of Bantamweight and do this trilogy against Amanda Nunes, 
it's very much in play that she could win. Of course, she. A lot of people thought she won the second one. I did too. Although, uh, you know, it's not like I think it's a robbery. Um, also, Aljamain Sterling. A feather. I, I don't think it's impossible. It's long. It's better than we than we gave him credit for with the whole DQ debacle. He's coming into his own. All right, hate me for it. It's, I think it's possible. There you go. Uh, let's go over to um, Dan Dismond Fitness. Is that what it says? At web is it web scream or web's cream? That's really the question. Dan Desmond Fitness. That's what the producers are telling me. Okay, Dan Desmond. Thank you. Uh, BC. If a vinyl was a one night stand that you regretted, <laughs> which album? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, what's the spirit of this question asking me? What 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 sort of guilty pleasure vinyl? has that feeling of a one-night stand? Is that what you're asking? Or which album would best represent that gross feeling you have after a one-night stand? That's also a good question. Uh, but sometimes, though, they're like I love like that 70s boogie rock, like Alex Cooper, who I do not consider a guilty pleasure. Alex Cooper fucking's awesome. I mean, the you know, I got the three best al uh, vinyl over there. I mean, it's just amazing. But it's like that boogie sex rock sometimes when he's not doing the other weird uh, dark stuff that... Uh, that you know almost feels like a grimy one night stand when you're listening to it. But under the spirit of the question of like, which vinyl do I have that if this is what he's asking, which I don't think he is. But what, how about this? Which vinyl do I have that I consider guilty pleasure? I've always considered um, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac to be the ultimate guilt, best guilty pleasure of all time because, like in theory, if we're cool rock guys, we shouldn't love that, right? Which is stupid, right? It's almost misogynistic. But to be fair, coming up. I didn't know anybody that listened to women rock singers, right? You know what I mean? And that was a big part of that band's transformation in, in bringing on um, Stevie Nicks and, and, you know, giving huge roles to, uh, to um, Christine McVie, who was already in the band. But that, you know, every, like, married guy had that. And you're like, yo, you really listen to this? They're like, it's so good. And you know what? It is. It's so good. It's, it's one of the best albums of all. It's cause it, but the reason I finally figured out, I mean, great songwriting, great singing, great musicianship, but it's the rhythm section. John McVie uh, on bass, who's just incredible. The way that he interacts with Mick Fleetwood, it, it's, you, don't hear, you don't hear bass and drum sound like that. I mean, it's incredible. Masters of the studio. I'm also real big into um, Mirage, their early 80s one that had a couple of radio hits. It's a good album. Um, I also think I, I've recently very quietly got into that ridiculous prime run in the 70s by Elton John, who I still think Elton John to some degree is a guilty pleasure, especially for rock fans. Um, I didn't realize how many five-star level albums he had and how deep they were in variety beyond whether you love the radio hits or you think some of them can be cheesy. I mean, you know, Goodbye the Yellow Brick Road is a freaking classic. And it opens with, you know, uh, the funeral for, uh, funeral for a friend that leads into Love Lies Bleeding. And, you know, that, that's as progressive rock. And, and you know, that's, that's fantastic. And the Honky Chateau I just picked up. Oh, God, it's amazing. Um, I also have a soft spot for like 70s yacht rock. I mean, who doesn't, dude? I have every good album by Seals and Crofts, by America. I got all the mamas and the papas. Oh, uh, Mama Cass, big time guilty pleasure. Listening to that makes me feel like I'm doing the uh, walk home from a gross one night stand, but it's great. Man, Cass Elliott's amazing, you know? Um, also, uh, Lisa Hannigan, you remember her from from uh, Damien Rice's debut O album, one of the you know best of the last 25 years? Her solo career is just incredible. 
I don't know if that's a guilty pleasure, but I'm, I'm pleasured to it. That, that's weird. That's gross. That's not where I want it to be right now. All right, one more question, then I'm out of here, guys. The car's waiting. What do you got? You got anything else, Long Island Luke? All right, here we go. This is from, oh, my, my man from Cubby's Fan, right? What's this guy asking me? I can't read the screen. What is the best walkout song you have ever heard or seen a fighter walk out to? I mean, there's so many. I mean, you know, in UFC, when you, when you hear that DMX, you know, you know what time it is. And even Chill Sonnen's stupid country song they used to come out to, just, it just hit right, you know? Um, I've always loved Mickey Ward coming out to Here I Go Again on my own by Whitesnake. And it, you know, and it may not like take over the arena. It's just kind of, it just fits him. But in boxing, it's, it's Arturo Gotti coming out to Thunderstruck by ACD. I mean, it's, a, it's a, an event when that happens, right? You know, I mean, you think the crowd goes nuts for, um, for, uh, Sweet Caroline in the UK boxing scene, dude. In Lyon City, when whoo, I, ne I actually never been away. I mean, that's one of those time machine things you wish that you can go back and be like, why didn't I? I live five hours from Atlantic City. Why didn't I go to all those Gotti fights? Right? Like, shout out to Eric Raskin. He was at all of them. And um, yeah, Mikey shouting out Bob O'Reilly. Uh, he's right. So what UFC does before the the for only the people in the crowd before the start of the pay per view main crowd, they play that highlight reel video. Uh, you know, scored by uh, the the Who classic rock song Baba O'Reilly, and and it always you know culminates in the you know we we don't get fooled again. And it's like you know Ronda Rousey getting head kicked by Holm. Mikey's not wrong. You're in the arena and you hear that. That's just like ho ho ho. And it it and I think it's inspired by what top rank boxing had been doing a lot of times in Las Vegas too. The the ten years before that, they have a video called This Is Boxing where it's this highlight reel of all the best ones. And Bob Arum's promoted every great fight that you love. And, and the way that they have the announcer call with the music tied, I forgot what song's playing, but um, tied into like the speed of these. And it's just, it's, you can't exit that and not be like, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, I just want to, I want to punch somebody. That's why these crowd fights are always great, right? Um, I know I'm butchering and not coming off the top of my head with a million great UFC patented all-time great ones, but um yeah, that's, that's what I got. Okay, I got to go to the airport. But uh, check me tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern, Showtime Sports YouTube channel. You're not going to be disappointed. It's going to be me and Keith Thurman calling fights. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can stream Showtime for 30 days right now on Showtime.com. we got Championship Boxing, 8 p.m. Saturday night, a quadruple header. Great Bellator action to come in the near future. Movies, docs, do that stuff. Today, you want to dress like me? You want to outfit yourself in, in things like MK? Go to morningcombat.store. 10% off right now using our code LIVE10, and that includes bomber jackets. So do that. Uh, enjoy. Luke Thomas back next week, okay? Uh, tomorrow's Saturday is one of the busiest days of all time in combat, and it will be for me too. You can expect in some form, I'm not sure what time, but in some form, MK, Morning Combat, initial uh, instant reactions from the UFC pay-per-view, from Joshua Usyk, so be on the lookout for that. Um, thank you to our great staff behind the scenes who got it done. Uh, we did it. We did it. We landed the plane. Sully Sullenberg over over here. Sullenberger. Uh, take care of yourself out there, guys. Enjoy the fights this weekend, but put this first, okay? Do the right thing. Talk to somebody. Just have that talk. You'll be freed. You'll find out. All right. We love you. Um, thank you, guys. Two words. We out. I'm go I'm gonna go. We're out of here. I'm, I'm no more. No more. No, I'm like, like the show's over. Like I, I gotta, like, like I gotta, I gotta get on a plane. <laughs>